Hello again, everybody. I'm Mark Robinson. I'm the candidate for North Carolina State Senate, and I'm representing Charlotte's District 39. I'm also your host for the Elephant in the Room podcast. And this is where we tackle issues that a lot of folks are thinking about, but nobody seems to be talking about. And um, today we're going to tackle something really tough. It's fentanyl. Um, we're calling it America's Overdose Emergency, and I'm very pleased to have my guest today, who is Tony Marciano. Tony is the president and CEO of the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Tony, thank you so much for being here. Mark, thank you for having me on the show. So I've been volunteering in one capacity or another at the, the Charlotte Rescue Mission for the last couple of decades. And part of that time, I've been doing F3 workouts uh, for your residents. So with that said, I can't imagine a better person uh, to address really this fentanyl epidemic than you, as you have been in charge of uh, CRM for what, like 25 years, is it now? 26 years now, yes. 26 years. So let me ask, this is not the elephant in the room, but this is a, a question a lot of people don't even realize what it is. What is fentanyl? Why is it so dangerous? A lot of times when somebody starts getting into alcohol and drug addiction, um, prescription pills are very expensive. Um, they sometimes can't get them because the doctor isn't prescribing new prescriptions or they've gone through all their pharmacists. And so they'll switch to heroin. Heroin is cheap and it's affordable. But sometimes the drug dealer wants to lace it with fentanyl because it's even cheaper for the drug dealer. And so the fentanyl, the heroin is laced with fentanyl. And very unfortunately, because once somebody ingests fentanyl into the system, death is imminent. And so it's a very dangerous situation. Back in March, April, May of 2020, when the stimulus checks were going out, if you remember, people were getting checks for $1,200. Yeah. Deal with everything being shut down. There was one gentleman that got a stimulus check and blew through the $1,200 on what he thought was heroin, but he was actually buying fentanyl and he died. And I ended up doing his funeral. A little bit later on so this is real and this is dangerous but for an addict their addiction takes over their life and when it does all the rational thinking goes out the window it's not a matter of sheer willpower and i can stop on my own there's brain activity that goes on such that dopamine levels and other other neurotransmitters in the brain demand continual ingestion of alcohol and drugs but if you peel back the layer of the onion even further, what's driving that? Um, Mark, there is a sense of shame in every attic, and guilt is when I've done something wrong. And as a Christian, I believe God in Christ forgives me. Yes. The scripture talks about that. But I'm not talking about guilt. I'm talking about shame. And if guilt says I've done something wrong, then shame says I am wrong. I am defective. If you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And if God knew me, God wouldn't like me. And so for the 20 plus years I've been at the rescue mission, I've asked them, how many of you feel like you fit in the society when you get high? They all raise their hands. How many of you feel like you don't fit in the society when you sober up? They all raise their hands. So what do you do? They tell me we get high. And so there's this shame-based identity in the soul of every addict that when they get high, whether it's alcohol, drugs, and, and those are not just the only drugs of choice. I know this is a conversation about fentanyl, but... The drugs of choice are alcohol and drugs, work, food, sex, gambling, religion, power, and spending. And anytime somebody acts out in one of those, all the shame in their life goes away. 
So the person who can't afford that large 70-inch screen TV plunks a credit card down and says to the cashier, swipe it. For three minutes, they go from being powerless to powerful. They can't afford it. Wow. And the credit card bill comes in, you know, a few days later, and suddenly they need to pay the credit card bill or the rent. And there's a lot of tension going on in the family. But for the few minutes at the store, they go from being powerless and that whole shame-based identity to being powerful because that cashier can't stop them. Cashier doesn't care. They're just swiping the credit card. You bought the TV and it's your problem to figure out how to pay for it. So think about the fact of it's just just alcohol and drugs. It's not just fentanyl. I tell people all the time, three bowls of macaroni and cheese are better than a bottle of Thunderbird. <laughs> when I've had a bad day at work, I can overeat with the best of them. And all the pain in my life goes away. This is a lot deeper, you're right, than fentanyl. This is this is an addiction issue. And it's almost like to get normal, hey, I need to be high so that, like you just said, I can fit in. And I can be accepted and the world feels good again, but I sober up. So what do I have to do? I have to keep getting high. And so when folks come to Charlotte Rescue Mission, and you know it takes about 30 days for the frontal lobes of the brain to clear out. And the fog lifts. And then suddenly they're feeling things that they haven't felt before. And I ask them, I said, tell me who has been here 30 days or more. And a group raises their hand. And I'll put my, my finger on my rib bone and say, how many of you are feeling things right here that you haven't felt in 5, 10, 20 years? And they go, oh, yeah. Wow. And I said, you're dying if we would just bring in a keg and give you a can of Budweiser and all your pain in your life would go away. And they go, can you do that? And I go, no, <laughs> we can't do that. <laughs> because when you do, everything in your brain resets to day zero. So how do you push through these feelings of being damaged goods when that's not who you are? But that's what was dumped on you by somebody else who was in pain. Mark, we use an expression that says that hurt people hurt people. And the folks who serve at the rescue mission, they've been deeply hurt by other deeply hurt people. That is, um, it's, it's, it sounds to me like that's just a never ending spiral. It's, um, uh, it's, it's sad. And I think that not having a Charlotte rescue mission or cities that have these is, is, uh, would be impossible for people to get through this. But, you know, you had recently mentioned to me, you know, there are different iterations. I mean, addictions go back a lot longer than just, uh, chemical drugs, but you'd mentioned, you know, the iteration, uh, crack cocaine at 1980s, I'm guessing, you know, meth in the nineties really to today, but, Fentanyl, is that just is it just the latest drug trend or is there something different about it this time? I've read that it is a hundred times more potent than morphine and I don't know, 50 times stronger than heroin. Are you seeing a difference here or is it just all the same year after year? No, because I met with a uh, addictionologist a few years ago and he was showing me the high from certain drugs like alcohol, heroin, and then he showed me the graph for meth amphetamines and it was off the charts. And the high was wow. so high. And when that spikes the brain, the person just sits there and their eyes close and they go, oh, this feels lovely. This feels warm. I feel loved. Oh. I'm in touch with the universe. All is good. And they're feeling something that they've never felt. And, you know, as I look at the backstory of the residents of the rescue mission, it's not that I'm 
condoning what they do. And somebody's going to misinterpret me and say that I did that. I'm not. And it's not a license to become an addict. But when there's when there's horrific abuse in their life, you know, we know statistically that 38% of the men, and I believe that statistic is higher, and 95% of the women that we serve at the rescue mission have a history of sexual abuse. Right. What do you do with that pain? Real simple. You anesthetize it with alcohol and drugs. And I've heard people say when the abuse was happening, I felt something. So it was my fault. I'm going, it wasn't your fault. You were being violated, but you were told it's all your fault. I had a woman who said to me one day, my grandfather sexually abused me as a little girl when I was six. And I told my grandmother and she accused me of lying. And I looked at her and I said, that's why you're here. Mark, let's unpack that moment for just a second for that that young girl of six years old. What her grandfather did, he should have been arrested and the grandmother should have called the police. Yes. That come get my husband. He just violated my granddaughter. But the grandmother, when she said, you're lying, was saying, this is going to be our family secret. You're not going to tell a soul. You're going to keep this between us. And in recovery, the expression is, we're only as sick as our secrets. And so by the grandmother wow. allowing this secret to go on, she was literally launching her granddaughter into a life of active addiction. Take that one step further. How many other granddaughters did the grandfather take advantage of? And yet we'd rather look good to the world than being honest and real and authentic. See, what the grandfather did should have been arrested. The grandmother also condoned something her husband was doing. And I see this over and over. And somebody closes their eyes to what's going on in the family. And you know the truth, but you're being told just the phrase that I hear at the mission all the time is, and I ask the residents, how many of you lived with what happens in this house stays in this house? And they all raise their hand and go, oh, yeah, Tony. I go, well, you have two choices. You can either have the approval of God and break family secrets or have the approval of your family and keep family secrets. And they look at me with panic in their eyes, like, do you know what will happen to me if I break our family secret? And I go, yeah, your family's going to be really angry with you, but God will smile at you. You know, there's a scripture verse that says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's you free. But I always ask people, so why are you so scared of the truth? You know, if, if scripture says the truth will set you free, why are you so scared of the truth? Why don't you go to a group counseling session and say, hi, my name is Tony and I'm an alcoholic. And there's something that I've never told anybody and step out of the world of addiction. It was several years ago. I was speaking at a Sunday school class and when I was done, the leader of the Sunday school class said, any prayer requests? And I stopped the leader and I said, can I take over? He goes, okay, what's going on? I said, let me tell you the prayer request in this room. Who's sick? Who has cancer? Who's coming, going into the hospital? Who's going out of the hospital? Who lost a job? Who started a new job? Who needs to buy a house and sell a house? And I said, did I miss anything? And he looked at me with the most confused look. And I said, I've been doing this now for 20 plus years. I don't care what church I'm in, what Sunday school class I'm in. They're the same prayer requests. They're what I call the sick call on the aircraft carrier. Oh, The safest prayer requests in the world. And then I said to this class, I said, how many of you have a special transmission in your car? And they looked at me and I go, you know what I'm talking about. You and your spouse are having a drag down, knockdown fight all the way to church. Your kids are in the back seat, 
their eyes are bugged out, scared to death, what's going to happen between mom and dad. And you get to church and you put it in park and you get out of the door and say, brother, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then you, after church, you get back in the car and you pop it in reverse and you pick up the fight exactly where you started. And I've looked at classes and I said, the church is supposed to be the safest place. And why can't we go to church and say, my spouse and I just had a strong disagreement on something. We're not going to divorce, but I need you to pray for us so we can get through this difficulty that we're facing. And there's panic in the faces of a Sunday school class. And I go, why can't you do that? Because we're more interested in how people think of us than the truth of what's really going on in our lives. So whether it's the rescue mission or the people that are not in the rescue mission, those worlds are not very different. They're very, very similar. And being real and genuine and authentic is a real scary place. So at the rescue mission, we try to provide the safety so that they can share. There's something that I never told anybody. Let me share this with you all. And suddenly the power of the family secret loses its power. And that's when the beginning of the healing begins. The, you know, I, it makes me think, uh, you know, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, when you fall down and you cut your leg, you go back and you put iodine on it, you clean it, you put bandages on it, and it begins to heal. And that's the medicine. However, and now you go back to this this um, scenario where the, the the little girl is abused by her grandfather, and later on she's putting medicine on it, but it's alcohol and drugs and such. That doesn't make it better; it makes it worse. So this is the opposite of kind of what we do when we injure ourselves in the normal world, uh, and it's very sad. And and it sounds like the the secrets your um, the secrets you carry around continue getting worse and worse. This is a spiral down. And if you think about it, okay, so put yourself in your watching a scenario. The girl is six years old. She's little. Her grandmother is maybe 60, 65. She's tall. She's big. There's an automatic power differential between the grandchild, Worse. granddaughter, and the grandmother. And we don't think about power differentials, but that's real. And the six-year-old granddaughter is small and petite. The grandmother is much taller, much larger. And just from sheer physical size, there's a difference. And so the grandmother from the power differential is saying, this is how we're going to handle this as a family. And and you get 20 years down the road. And if she ever says that a family gathering, let me tell you what grandpa ever did to me. Everybody denies it. Everybody says that Awful. never happened. And you look and you're accused of like, why are you bringing this up now? That was 20 years ago. You weren't allowed to break the family secret when you were little. And then they, like you said, they anesthetize the pain with alcohol and drugs. It makes them feel like at least they fit in a society when there's a rip in their soul that says, why am I here? You know, I remember the the resident at Dove's Nest who we were talking one day in class and she said, I'm just here for the physical pleasure of men. And I said, say that one more time. She said, that's all that I am as a woman here for the physical pleasure of men. So we look at people who struggle with alcohol and drug addiction and we're critical of them. Um, you know, in the early years of my tenure at Charlotte Risk Commission was always, thank you for working with those people. And I would say, what do you mean by those people? And they go, you know what I mean? I go, I have no idea what you mean. And they go, alcoholics and drug addicts. And they whisper it. 
And part of the DNA of Charlotte Rescue Mission is that the ground at the cross is incredibly level. So I have, I was never drunk in my life. I've never smoked pot. Um, I've never done drugs. I'm a disappointment to every baby boomer born between 1946 and 1964. <laughs> okay. So if you look at my testimony, it's squeaky clean. And people say, well, God is going to reward you because you've lived a morally squeaky clean life. But God is going to punish the people you serve because they've lived a really bad life. And I go, if you believe that, then the ground at the cross is very, very tilted. But I believe that the ground at the cross is very, very level. And me with my squeaky clean testimony, and they with pretty horrific backstories come to level ground at the cross. And the same blood that washes my sins away washes their sins away. The same Holy Spirit that washed that comes into my heart and life comes into their heart and life. The same Lamb's Book of Life that my name is written into, their name is written into. And I always say, I'll grant you the consequences of sin are radically different. That I can't change. But in God's economy stands two people who deserve hell, who only get heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done. Right. When I say that in the community, people are like, you're not going to have them back. Please don't have them back because this is very uncomfortable. Mm. When I say it at the rescue mission, they look at me like, you're out of your mind. And I go, I'm not surprised at your reaction because you've been taught that the ground at the cross is very tilted. And so what I say to people is, if you believe that, then do me a favor, don't volunteer at the mission because you're trying to lift up the people we serve. Rather, instead of lifting them up, expand the circle and include them because either they lost their ticket to the party or they never got a ticket to the party. And our job is to say, we want you at the party. We love you. Right. And God loves you. And come on inside. You know, in the statistics that I have seen, um, I guess it's a, what is it? 10% of Americans or 10% of people really suffer from addiction. So it's, uh, I, I think that the statistic is even fright more frightening that only 10% of those do anything about it. I've also heard that it's in the DNA. I mean, my grandfather and my aunt were both alcoholics. And most folks know that I quit drinking years ago. Um, and uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing to to come in and help others with this. But so I would ask you, I mean, how can people that are listening, for instance, to this podcast or just talking to you, how can they help you in your mission? One of the things is, you're right, it is about 10% of the population struggles with addiction, but one out of four people are affected by addiction. And somebody misquoted wow. me and said, well, Tony, you said that one out of four people are addicts. I said, I never said that. I said, one out of four people are affected by addiction. You have a mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, cousin, coworker, neighbor, who's in active addiction. And you don't know what to do. You've never had a course or a class in it. So you resort to what you believe is best and you provide for that person. So there's no needs. And I get phone calls from parents all the time. And they say, my 23 year old son is in active addiction. I said, all right, where is he living? Well, he's living home. Okay. You're feeding him. Yeah. Well, that's worth eight fifty to a hundred to a thousand dollars a month. But I didn't give him any money. I said, I know you didn't give him any money, but as long as you give him free room and board, there's no impetus on his part to go get help and get changed. It's enabling, isn't it? Exactly. And I said, what I need you to do is say the word no. And suddenly the phone call gets really quiet and they go, I don't want him to die on the streets. And I'll go, you need to understand that addiction is chronic 
which means it's like diabetes. You have it forever. It's progressive, which means you go from marijuana to alcohol to prescription pills to heroin to fentanyl. It's primary, which means it's number one, and it never loses. When it rears its ugly head, it always wins. But lastly, addiction is fatal. You'll drive drunk into a telephone pole. You will die from a bad drug deal. You'll die from fentanyl. And so I have to say to the parents, you don't want them to die in the streets. Your son is going to die in your house. You need to give your son a choice. Either get to the rescue mission and get some help, or you can't live here anymore. Because as long as you feed him and shelter him, there's no impetus on his part to change. Henry Cloud, who wrote the book Boundaries some time ago, has been quoted as saying, people only change when the pain of whatever is greater than the pleasure. And somebody said to me, well, that doesn't make sense. And I said, it does. Why do you file your income taxes on April 15th? Because, Mark, you don't want a love note from the IRS. Dear Mark, I hope you're doing well. I hope you and the family are doing great. Um, by the way, today's April 16th. Your taxes are late. You owe us interest and penalty. Love the IRS. <laughs> you never want a letter like that from the IRS. So what do you do? You file your income taxes on time. Yes. So what if the IRS said to you, you know what, Mark? You file your taxes whenever you want, however the spirit moves you. You and I would change our will to say, dear kids, I owe the IRS a ton of money. So now that I'm dead, you're going to have to take it out of all of our assets and pay them back. And there may not be anything left for you, yeah. love mom and dad. <laughs> so people only change when the pain is greater than the pleasure. People are, are only seek recovery and the Charlotte Rescue Mission when the pain of using alcohol and drugs is greater than the pleasure. And when that happens, everything in their life changes and they're willing to say, yes, I'll go. But as long as people feed and shelter them and make all the bad go away, then the word you used before is correct. It is enabling and allows that person to continue to remain in active addiction, which may not take their life today, may not take it tomorrow, but eventually it will take their life. You know, Tony, I've got one last question, and I think I already know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it anyway, um, because it's really specific. But then again, it really it's all about addiction. Um, if you had a magic wand, you could change something about our society to stop, you know, fentanyl, crack, meth, all of the other addictions from destroying our society. What would you do? I would want to paint a new vision for how we work with our homeless neighbors. I think the vision for most communities across the country is we're called to feed, shelter, and clothe our homeless neighbors. Yeah. Charlotte Rescue Mission has a bigger vision that they would achieve their greatest God-given potential as if all the insanity, all the craziness, all the abuse, all the trauma in their life never occurred. Let me say that again, that our vision is that they would achieve their greatest God-given potential as if all the insanity, all the abuse, all the trauma of their life never occurred. That's not keeping them alive, and that's not making housing the solution. We believe housing is a symptom of a greater brokenness in somebody's life, and that's why they're struggling with homelessness. But do we want them to be dependent on our soup kitchens and shelters? Do we want them to continue to arrive and ask for help? Or do we want them to run through life being the person that God created them to be? And if I could wave a magic wand, it would be letting this world see a greater vision for when you're doing compassion type ministry. It's not about you. It's about the person in crisis. Wow. And how can we help that person become all, all that God created them to be? It's not about you. 
It's not about your need to feel good about yourself. Right. It's about them. And step aside and let God do what God does best in your heart and life. God bless you, Tony. God bless you and all of you are doing. I know that you've got a, an army of folks helping you out there, too. And I hope that everyone is listening can can think about what you're doing and how they can help. Again, thinking of others rather than themselves. So this has just been a fantastic conversation and um, just can't can't thank you enough, Tony. Thank you so much. Mark, thank you for having me on the show. So until next time, uh, have a great day, everybody, and always be on the lookout for the elephant in the room.